Journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov and welcome to 101.9 Chai FM. I am Adol Kazilski and I'm with you for the next uh, three quarters of an hour and we are going to be doing something very important. We are going to be learning our Holy Torah. Um, and as always, we know that Talmud Torah Kenegat Kulam, that of all the mitzvahs, learning Torah is of paramount importance and, and important. Why? Because we learn how to live our lives. We learn how, what God wants of us. We understand our purpose um, when we del- delve into the wisdom that God has given us. And uh, I implore you and ask you to join me. In this learning, if you have any questions, any comments, 34519 is our SMS line, and 061895 is our telegram number. We are in the book of Exodus. We are in the second uh, book of the five books of Moses. We're still in Parashat Shmot, uh, which is the first parasha. We are going to be looking in chapter 4, and we're on verse 18. Um, we have spent quite a number of um, time, uh, quite a, quite a, actually a lot of lot of time, quite a number of shows, um, to discuss all the arguments and comings and goings that Moshe presented to God. He really didn't want the job, but uh, when God tells you what to do, you need to do it. And finally, he acquiesces. He's got all the signs he needs to go prove to the Jews that in fact um, he is the the guy that God has chosen. He knows that he is going to be hitting a brick wall because God also told him that Pharaoh is going hard, is going to be hard, and and it's not going to be easy. Um, But nevertheless, this is his calling, and despite all the difficulties, he decided he ain't staying around in Midian. He is going to go back to Egypt and fulfill God's Will. And this is where we're going to be picking up now. So for those of you that are sitting, I hope all cozy because woof, the weather outside is not so pleasant. So I hope you've got maybe like some lunch or some cookies and some hot chocolate because that's what the weather is telling us we should be eating. Um, you can open up to chapter four of the book of Shemot, verse 18, and let's see what happened. It was actually quite a dramatic leaving, as you will soon understand. Vayelech Moshe, and Moshe left. Vayashav al Yete Chotno, he goes back to his father-in-law Jethro, Jethro, Vayomelo, and he says to him, Elechana, um, I need to leave. I'd like to go, Vayashuva Alechai, and return to my brothers, Asheb Mitzrayim, that are in Egypt, Vereha Odam Chaim, and I need to go see if they are still alive. Vayome Yitro Lemoshe, and Yitro says to Moshe, Lech the Shalom, go in peace. What a nice father-in-law. So basically what we're seeing in this verse is that he says, listen, I need to go back. I need to go check out my, my family, go see if they're alive. And he gets the blessing from Jethro, from Yitro, Lech the Shalom. We're going to talk about the words Lech the Shalom shortly. But before that, Right? Why did he have to go and tell his, fa- his father-in-law? Obviously, it's derech eretz. It's, it's good, polite manners. You're living with your in-laws. You don't just get up and leave um, in the middle of the night, even though um, we know Yaakov did that. He didn't say anything to Lavon. Simply why? Because Lavon was a very difficult man, and he would never have let them go. And, in fact, we know Lavon chased them. 
Yitro was a far more honest um, good guy and he could have that conversation with him. But um, we also do know, and we learned this when he came to Midian initially, <coughs> excuse me, and he married Zipporah, he swore, he may, he took an oath um, with, to Jethro that he would not leave Midian without permission. So that's really the context in which he asks now. He's preparing to go on the mission that God gave him. So he first has to go back to Yitro and seek permission. Now, um, we're told in the Midrash that um, there is a specific verse in the in the Tehillim, in chapter 24 of Tehillim, Perikhof Dalid, that reads as follows, and it says that this is actually talking about Moshe Rabbeinu. So anybody who knows Chaf Dalid, if you look at verse 3, it says, Mi ya'ale bahar Hashem, umi ya'kum bimkom kocho, who will ascend to God's mountain, who will stand in his holy place. Niki kapaim uvar levav ashe lo nafshi velo nishba lemirma. It will be he who has a clean hand and a pure heart, who has not taken my name in vain, and who has not sworn deceitfully. And this is linked to what we're learning right now. This is talking about Moshe. Um, the psalmist says, who would go up to the mountain of God? Who would stand in his, in his holy place? The character that has to do that, he has to clean hands, pure heart, not sworn in vain, and not sworn deceitfully. So we can see here that once Moshe had made an oath, he could not seek deceitful excuses to free himself without fulfilling it completely. So he went back to Yitro, and he acted as honest, as honest as he can be. I need to go back, and I'm asking your permission because I did take I did, I did, I did, I did take an oath. And also, he had to show Hakara Tatov. He had to show, um, goodwill to his father-in-law. Because remember that when Yitro had taken Moshe into his house, even though he was a foreigner and he, he, he was a foreigner, he was a complete stranger. And so the, the least that Yitro deserved was respect and Moshe informing him, um, informing him what he should do. Now, one, uh, others, others disagree somewhat and they say that the original oath was erroneous because what Yitro had exacted from Moshe was only because he was concerned that Moshe's enemies, Datan and Aviram, those two Jews that were fighting and the one they eventually went and tittletailed on him that made him run away. Um, he was worried, Yitro, that they would go and slander him to Paroi. Okay? Um, but now, what had happened with Datan and Aviran, they actually fell from favor with Paroi. They'd lost all their property. They no longer had Pharaoh's ear. And there was no reason anymore for the oath. It wasn't valid. Um, and Moshe did not have to release himself from it. Okay? But he still did it. Because he didn't even want to be suspected of violating an oath. And that's why it says Lemirma, meaning that he, he, he had not sworn for any type of deceit. He was not going to be deceitful in any way whatsoever. And this, just by the way, um, 
we can and we will now be having a discussion around, around taking oaths. In Judaism, taking, a, a, taking an oath is not a simple thing. It is very, very binding, and it is something that you need to look out for. So don't disappear. We are going to be discussing that next. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Okay, let's have a discussion, a discussion, listen to me, a discussion about oaths. Okay, we do not take oaths. And if we do, we need to understand the, the responsibility that we're taking upon ourselves when we make the oath. So ordinarily, if a Jew promises something, I promise I'll be at you in half an hour. You will see that anybody who's cognizant of the fact that we shouldn't be taking or making any promises or oath, we'll say, bli neder. Bli neder are two words which mean without the, the, the strength of an oath. So I promise, we, it's kind of like, you know, just slang. I promise I'll be there in about half an hour. Bli neder. Without, without the stringency and the, the legality of an oath. Um, and we should really make that part of our uh, lexicon. When we are speaking, we should make sure that we always say bli neder because while we might promise something, who knows, there could be a very bad hailstorm in the next 50 minutes and I will not be able to make it in half an hour. An hour. Nevertheless, there have been times where oaths have been taken. And when they are taken, then they are held, they are expected to be fulfilled and there is an entire process that one needs to go through in order to annul an oath um, if if one cannot fulfill it. Now, I'm going to read a little bit about different scenarios. Um, I'm not a rabbi, and so I do not know all the halachot, and I encourage each and every one of you, if you do feel that you are in a situation where an oath has been administered either by yourself or you are the recipient of an oath and you need to um, extricate yourself or see it fulfilled that you actually speak to an orthodox rabbi who will give you all the halakha. I'm just going, I'm, what I'm sharing with you right now is just so that you can understand the context. So if person A makes an oath to person B not to do something, then he cannot do it without person B's permission. Okay, that's the first thing. If A, I'm just going to call them A and B for just for ease. If A must nullify the oath in order to do a good deed or fulfill a commandment, he cannot do so without B's consent. If A has a rabbi, has a rabbi annul the oath without B's consent, the annulment is invalid and the oath the oath would still be in full force. If A makes an oath to person B's agent, the oath can only be nullified with the consent of B or with the agent to whom A made the oath. If A makes an oath to B and B dies, then the oath can be annulled. Permission does not have to be obtained from B's survivors. If A take, makes an oath not to leave a certain place without B's consent and then violates the oath by leaving without permission, the oath can be annulled even without B's consent. Since A has already violated the oath, it is not prop, proper to him to continue to violate it 
every single day. Here is a very big one. If a man and woman make an oath that they will marry one another, neither one can annul the oath without the other's consent. Um, I want to, to, to stop here and just discuss these many, many stories that I have heard about situations where they're, um, in the olden days, they don't do it today. So let me, let me, let me basically explain to you. In the olden days, when a, um, man and woman decided to get married, whether it was a matchmaking thing or something that they chose themselves, they would sit down and they would make an oath that they would get married to each other. And that was what we understand today as the engagement. But it was a legal document, the Tanayim. They would fill it out and they would say, I hereby make take an oath that I'm going to be betrothed to you, both of them each way. And then it would take quite a while for, in, in order for them to get married. Maybe they were young, maybe there was other circumstances, and finally they would come to the wedding and then they would betroth each other. But there were circumstances where Tanaim were written, oaths were made, and war broke out, um, something happened, and this engagement didn't take place. And the two the, the two people involved in this oath went their separate ways and tried to marry other people. And there are many, many stories where that promise, that commitment that they had made held them back and they've gone to their stories of people who have gone to Rebbe's and gone and said, I can't find my wife. And they've gone to say, well, were you engaged before? Did you forgive and let go? And did you annul the oath that you had for each other? And the answer was no. And said, until then, you cannot go on to marry somebody else. That's why you can't find your bashert. And there are many, many stories. In fact, I remember reading one where a man, where there was a little boy and girl. They used to be neighbors. They played on a tree top, tree top and they made a promise unknowingly, but they made the promise to marry each other. And then the, the boy and girl grew up. The boy went and did a whole lot of other stuff. He moved away and he couldn't find his bashet and he went to the Rebbe. And the, the, the Rebbe told him, you have made, you made a promise to that young little girl. She still thinks that you are going to get married to her. And until you, um, get her forgiveness, you're not going to get married. And he started crying. He said, where should I find her? He said, go into a marketplace and you will find her there. So he sets off to this marketplace and he's looking around and suddenly he finds the girl. And he, he, he falls to his feet and he says, you know, it's been a very long time. We made this promise when we were little kids. Now we're, we're adult ki- adults and I need to release us from the oath that we'd get married to each other. Do you forgive me? Do you release the oath? And the girl said, yes. And she suddenly then just disappeared back into the marketplace. Relieved, the guy made his way home now, hoping that he had made peace with what it is that he had to do and that he could look forward to a bright future. On his way home, he happened to pass his hometown where that little girl and her um and, and him used to play on the treetop and he actually passed by the house and he just stopped and he reminisced 
how he really had good times when they were small and how they had promised to be to betroth each other and he felt good that he had now annulled annulled the the, the oath while he was standing out there commiserating and thinking about this entire situation um i believe he's the brother of the school came out and recognized them and said oh hello i haven't seen you in such a long time how are you etc etc he goes yeah it has been a very long time in fact i just met your sister at the marketplace in the other town and the brother said what he says yeah i i, I it's a long story but i can't get married and um we need um I, i needed to go ask for forgiveness so i went to your sister in the other town to ask her forgiveness to which the brother replied are you kidding me are you sure you saw my sister he said yes yeah, sure i saw her and she forgave me so the brother said i've got news for you she said my sister was in love with you was waiting for you to marry her and she spent her teenage years waiting and waiting and waiting and i have to tell you that it could not have been my sister that you spoke to because she actually died of a broken heart a couple of years ago the khasanal okay the guy who had extricated so to speak himself out of this earth was flabbergasted and he didn't know what what went on he went running back to his river and the river went and said indeed you had broken the school's heart and she had gone to her grave and i made a miracle that she would reappear so that you could be released of your oath so coming back to over here when we perform weddings today we do not do the official tanaim before the wedding we will do it as part of the wedding process so for anybody who attends an orthodox wedding you will know that there's the the the, the color is sitting in one place the khosan is sitting in another and at, at a certain point in time they ask the mothers to come in they break a plate everybody says mazel tov that whole thing that is happening there at the khosan's tesh at the khosan's table is where the tanaim are written where the engagement is written signed and sealed everybody says mazel tov but immediately from there we go to the khopa to get married so this is how our rabbis now have managed to absolve people from making promises that they do not keep So this is a a reason also why um in orthodox weddings things just if if you if you are committed then you will announce your engagement there's no oath to it um and you get married as soon as possible it is again a very very um difficult thing to annul and if anybody is in any such situation like this please consult an orthodox rabbi okay um There's a lot more about what happens if you have to repay debts and you can't and what happens with when it comes to interest and a whole a, a, a whole lot of other things if two people become partners through an oath they can't annul the oath without the other's consent if A tells B something and swears that he will not reveal it to anyone else before a certain time he can't annul the oath before Mr B's consent etc etc and we've seen many times in 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 Torah where oaths have been administered you remember when Jacob died Yosef told Paro that he had sworn to his father Jacob that he would bury him in Hebron and Paro did not want Yosef to go okay and he said um I just annul your oath and Yosef replied to him if I annul that oath 
then I will also annul the oath that I made with you that I will not reveal um, to the, the, the public that uh, you don't know how to speak Hebrew. So an oath was considered a very, very serious thing, and we don't take it lightly. So again, I'm giving this to you as context, not as a halachic dispensation or explanation if you have taken an oath, if you have made a promise um, to another person and there are circumstances where the promise needs to be broken or you inadvertently have broken a promise, then you need to, to speak to an orthodox rabbi on how to release it. Going back to the context now of our verses, Moshe had made a promise to Yitro that he would not flee from Midian or leave Midian without his consent and since he is Niki Kapayim, Var Levav, that he is clean of hands and pure of heart, and that he does not swear and take oaths indiscriminately, he comes to, 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 um, he comes to Yitro and he asks Yitro for permission to take his wife and leave. So that is very, very important that we understand that. And then you'll see that Moshe, that, sorry, that Hashem gives him the commandment to leave, and that's in verse 19. By Yome Hashem al Moshe, God says to Moshe, Bemidian lech, go, Bemidian, sorry, uh, God says to, I apologize, by Yome Hashem al Moshe, Bemidian, God says to Moshe in Midian, lech shuv Mitzrayim, Go return back to the land of Egypt, because those that want to kill you have died. Now, was Datan and Aviram dead? No, they weren't, because they were rebel rousers and they caused trouble much later. But they um, were considered dead. Why? Because after they reported him, reported Moshe to Paroi, they fell out of um, out of Paroi's favor. They had lost all their property. They were so poor, they were considered dead. And so God is saying to, to Moshe, um, you don't have to be worried because since they are so impoverished, um, their words will no longer be accepted in the palace. So that is Moshe going and telling, um, telling him, um, you can go. Right, so what does Moshe do? Look at verse 20. Vayikach Moshe et Ishto, he takes his wife, ve'et banav, and his sons. Ve'yarkebem al hachamor, he puts them up on a donkey. Vayeshev atza Mitzrayim, he walks, he goes, and he starts setting out back towards the land of Egypt. Vayikach Moshe et mate ha'elokim biyador, and he ensures that he has got the staff of God in his hand. Remember, God said, just keep that staff with you. We spoke last week about the fact that the staff was a miraculous staff. Now, a few comments on this verse. The first thing we can see, exactly like the forefathers, um, Moshe, because he was setting out on a mission for God, he himself made all the preparations for the road with his own hands, and that's why it says he took himself. He himself took his wife, his sons, and he placed them on the donkey. He didn't allow any of his servants to participate in these important preparations. Um, we have that same, um, this, the same thing when God tells Abraham to go sacrifice Yitzchak. You'll see that he woke up very early in the morning and he saddled his donkey. 
again, he didn't go and have his servants do that. And this is, indi- is indicating saintliness. All right. The other thing that we need to know about the saintliness, saintliness of Moshe is that generally when a leader of a community is working for the community, he will ask to be recompensed, recompensed for all his expenses for the community. Moshe did not want to receive any reimbursement at all from the community for his expenses, and that's what the verse means when it says he took his wife and his donkeys, I'm sorry, he took his wife and his sons and placed them on a donkey, meaning that all the expenses for the journey were out of his own pocket. And this even speaks louder (coughs) to his whole mission because remember, Moshe himself would not derive any benefit from his mission because he belonged to the tribe of Levi. Levi was not subjugated by the Egyptians. So he's going on as an act of pure altruism. Um, the other thing that's interesting is, is that he took his wife and his sons, means that he put his wife first and then his sons. Normally, you would see that the, the father would protect the children first because they are more vulnerable. The answer here is why he put his wife and then his sons is that his children were, were still very, very small. In fact, we are going to learn now that his second son, Gershom, was actually, she, uh, Tipporah had just birthed him eight days prior to that. So he put his wife on the donkey first and then he handed um, the children to to her. Now, bringing his wife and children to Egypt was important because it would show the Jewish people Moshe's intention, okay, and what was his intention? To, to, to give them courage, to give them hope. Because if somebody brings their family into a dangerous situation, it kind of like tells you that he's very convinced and he really feels Enough that he would be, that, that he's going to fulfill the job. If he was a charlatan, he wouldn't bring his family into Midian, from Midian to Egypt. Okay, but the fact that he had his wife and his children showed that there was redemption at hand and he did also want his family, uh, to participate in, in, in the celebrations. So that is, that is really what the, 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 story is when it explains that Moshe took his wife and his children. It really, really showed a lot about Moshe's character. After the break, we're going to talk about the fact that um, Yitro says to him, Lech L'Shalom. What does Lech L'Shalom mean? This is 101.9 Chai FM. Chai FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, what does Lech L'Shalom mean? Well, let me explain this. Lech L'Shalom means go in peace. Okay, um, there is another saying that we use, Lech B'Shalom, go with peace. Now, when do we say Lech L'Shalom and when do we say Lech B'Shalom? Okay, Lech L'Shalom is when you say that to go, go in peace. That's when you're talking to somebody who's living. When one departs from the dead after a funeral, one says, Lech B'Shalom. You change it from Lech L'Shalom to Lech B'Shalom. What does it mean? It means like this. 
let's first go um, to the Lech B'Sholom. Lech B'Sholom means go with the peace. What are we saying to the deceased? That the Torah, the mitzvahs that you have done in this world, from now on, you will no longer be able to do any more deeds of virtue. So whatever you have done in this world, Lech B'Sholom will go with you in peace and sustain you in the next. When we're speaking to somebody living, we say Lech L'Sholom means go in peace. Now we know that Torah and mitzvahs are called shalom, peace. So what are we saying to a person? We say, lech l'shalom. We're telling a living person to continue to seek Torah and mitzvahs as he departs on his journey. Because while one, while one, one is alive in this world, you need to constantly be in pursuit of Torah and mitzvahs. You can't go and say, look, I've given so much to charity. I've studied so much. Now I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to rest. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. I'm not going to think about it anymore. Lech, um, le shalom means that wherever you go, every step that you take for your entire life, you should be seeking out how you could fulfill another mitzvah. That's why we don't say lech b'shalom to a living person because it means that they would be taking their good deeds with them on this journey and not seeking to add them to their journey. The only journey, real journey we're going to take is when we go to the world to come. So if you want to say zaykazunt and say to a person, go in peace, if he's living, you say lech l'shalom. Early a deceased will be lech b'shalom, will bring the fruits of their labors um, to the heavenly court. But right now, we should be seeking out what it is um, that we still can do in order to bring peace to the world, to fulfill Torah and mitzvahs that is considered as peace. Right, let's look at verses 21 to 23. By Yom Hashem al God again says to Moshe, now this looks like a lot of reiteration, when you are on your way back to Egypt, keep in mind all the wonders that I have placed in your hand, and you will then perform them before Paro. I will be strengthening, I will be hardening his heart. He's not going to send the nation. And you are to say to Paro, Ko Amar Hashem. So says God, Bni Bechori Yisrael, that Israel is my son, he is my firstborn. Ve'omar Elecha, and I say to you, Shlachet Bni, um, free, let go my son, Ve'yavdeni, so that I may serve him. Ve'temayen Shalcho, he will refuse to let you go. And then I am going to kill his firstborn. So God, God is actually giving Moshe like the timeline. He's giving him the paradigm. He's giving him an explanation. This is what's going to happen. It ain't going to be easy. And understand, Paroi is not going to let you go. And the reason why is because I'm going to harden his heart. Why did God want to harden his heart? So that the release, the redemption of the Jews from Egypt will look 
so extraordinarily miraculous, there would be no question. There would be no room to logically try and work out, oh, the reason why Pyroi decided to let them go was because he promised them a, a beach house on the French Riviera. There, 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 would be no, there would be no questions. His heart was as hardened as it was, and the only way the Jews could leave Egypt was through miracles. And God reminds Moshe, while he's traveling to Egypt, that he should meditate on the ten plagues that are engraved on his staff. By the way, by the way, the reason you can go and say, well, that's not fair. Um, God put um, Paroi in an insidious position. The answer is that's not true. He was so evil. He was so bad. He had so much stacked up against him. The Torah teaches when a person does so much wrong, the gates of repentance are closed before him. So Moshe was warned, you've got to be strong, you've got to be firm, you've got to not fear him. I'm telling you in advance, this guy's heart um, was will be hardened. And he reminds Moshe to meditate on the acronym of the of the um, ten plagues, the Tzach, Adash, and Barachav, and they will come in the order of the the ten the ten lines that he sees. He he will see there. So this staff, this miraculous staff, which if I need to remind you, came all the way from Adam in the Garden of Eden, passed down. Asaph had it. Yaakov then took it. Landed up with Yosef, landed up in, in, in Paroi's palace, and then uh, Yitro stole it, took it, put it in his garden, and that's where Moshe picked it up. This staff was a miraculous staff, and um, this was the staff that was going to bring about not only all the ten plagues, but also the splitting of the sea, and for anybody who, who's seen any caricature of Moshe, and I'm saying caricature because no one knows what Moshe looked like, um, there aren't too many without showing Moshe holding this very, very famous staff in his hand. So this is the guarantee that God says. He strengthens him. He gives him. Um, he encourages him. And he says to him, this is where um, you need to go now, and this is what you're taking with. So Moshe just showed his most incredible subservient, subservience to God, albeit he did give God uphill in the beginning, but once agreed um, and he acquiesced to the mission, um, he did so in an absolute hurry, and he goes and he does it. Fortunately, we're running out of time, and um, I don't want to proceed to verse 24, which then shows that Moshe actually gets into big trouble. But as just a precursor, because I'm going to want you to come back um, and spend time with me next week, what happens is Moshe, on his way back to Egypt, nearly dies because he did one huge, big mistake. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it as a cliffhanger um, and hope that next week you'll be back same time at 1 o'clock uh, to join me again in the study of the most beautiful, beautiful and divine, infinitely divine book, the Torah. 
Until then, Shavua Tov, please stay warm. Um, the weather is turning cold, and um, we'll warm up our hearts and minds next week together. This is 101.9 High FM.